Well, good morning, church. Hey, you're alive. Wow. Good to see you all this morning. Good to see you. It's an honor to share God's word with you as we continue our series in the book of Jeremiah. And I trust that you've been learning from this book uh, of the Bible and finding actually the Bible engagement resource that we've provided for you uh, helpful as you engage with it throughout your week. We're, uh, we're about halfway through this series, and so far, Pastor Chris has helped us become familiar with the prophet Jeremiah. And we've learned that Jeremiah is also known as a weeping prophet, uh, a man of God who was called to minister to the rebellious tribe of Judah and whose prophecies from God were completely rejected. His life and ministry seemed to be in vain because he faced constant opposition and, and experienced personal suffering with very little ministry effectiveness. Never, nonetheless, Jeremiah did not quit and he faithfully delivered the word of the Lord no matter what the results were. And we learned that the charge against Judah was that they had broken their commitment with God, that their ancestors had made about seven or 800 years ago at Sinai just after God had delivered them miraculously from the hands of Egypt. And through a number of marriage metaphors in the book of Jeremiah, we learned about the breakdown of Judah's relationship with God. Judah was unfaithful and had broken their commitment by having intimate relations with other gods. And this caused them to do detestable things. And time after time, through the prophet Jeremiah, we read of God's love and concern for his beloved people with him repeatedly inviting Judah to repent and to return to him. But unfortunately, the people did not respond to God's invitation and instead conspired to kill Jeremiah, God's messenger. But even still, God continued to pursue his people to change their ways. God sent Jeremiah to the potter's house and through this powerful illustration revealed his openness to receive and forgive Judah. God was willing to take their brokenness and rework it to become something beautiful if they would just listen. The tragedy in their story is that Judah did not listen to God's warnings and pleadings. But instead, they listened to the prophetic utterances of those who were not yet yoked to God and weren't listening to his voice. And these prophets promoted favorable messages that the people liked and disregarded God's looming judgment for them for their sins. And last week, Pastor Andrew helped us appreciate the showdown between Hananiah and Jeremiah. And Hananiah prophesied peace and prosperity, whereas Jeremiah prophesied obedience and repentance, or they would face the consequence of judgment and displacement. And it turned out that Jeremiah was right. And we see that not only did Hananiah receive what he was due for his false prophecy, but Judah as a nation did too. And this morning, our text is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is a letter that Jeremiah wrote to those exiled in Babylon, providing important instructions, which we will consider. 
So would you stand with me this morning as we read God's word in one voice? And it's Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. Let's read together. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Great reading. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this great word, Lord, that has been preserved and passed down to us, your people. I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would encourage us and would you also challenge us? And God, here I am. I just pray for the mind of Christ as I, as I communicate this message. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. So before we consider the text we just read this morning, one of the important things to know about Israel's history, and Judah more specifically, is that there were multiple occasions where God's people were captured and taken away from their land. The Bible describes these as God's punishment towards his people for their sin. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, which we read about in the historical books of the Old Testament, uh, for their wickedness, was defeated and destroyed by the Assyrians in the year 724 BC. And these Israelites were brought to Assyria, and we don't have much more information in the biblical record about them. 
Now, in the year 598 BC, about 125 years later, the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah, was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army. He captured and looted Jerusalem, including the precious articles from the temple. He also exiled the new king Jehoiakim and members of the royal household, leading citizens and artisans to Babylon, as we just re- was just referenced in our text. But more information about this is given to us in 2 Kings chapter 24. And the Babylonians then replaced the deposed king Jehoiakim with his uncle Zedekiah, who is referred to often in the book of Jeremiah. It was a few years after this destruction, uh, this disastrous first incident, that last week's prophetic showdown took place. Jeremiah had warned King Zedekiah and the neighboring vassal states to not retaliate against Babylon. But other voices were encouraging revolt and all were claiming divine authority. And tragically, King Zedekiah of Judah listened to the wrong voices. And in 587 BC, about 11 years after the first major blow to Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar returned to Jerusalem and totally destroyed it. This was because King Zedekiah had instigated a rebellion against Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar responded swiftly to the treaty infraction by attacking Jerusalem, Judah's capital. It was brutally defeated. And those inhabitants of Judah who did not fall in battle were deported to Babylon with only the very poorest of the land left to take care of the land. This was the big exile and a major blow to Judah because it hit the heart of the nation, the temple, destroying it completely and with it the political, social, and religious symbols that it carried. And we're going to learn more about this as the weeks progress and as Pastor Chris continues to lead us through the rest of the book of Jeremiah. But for our purposes today, this background is important for us to understand the contents and relevance of Jeremiah's letter, which we just read. So let's now look at the text a little more closely. And we start with God's instructions for them to build homes in Babylon. In verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so from this text, we gather, and others found in Ezekiel, that the Jewish exiles don't seem to be enslaved in Babylon, but were allowed to establish their own communities with limited but some freedom. And so God's words to these exiles is that they should settle down in Babylon for the long haul because it will be 70 years before God will act to deliver them. And the assumption in this 
message by God through Jeremiah is that God would be present and active in their daily lives, even in this foreign land, and among the people they would count as enemies. What's more is that God's instruction to them concerned not only their own lives and their Jewish community, but for their Babylonian neighbors. Remarkably, God exhorts the exiles to seek or promote, in some other translations, put it, the well-being of Babylon, and even more, to pray for it. Now, this is unprecedented in the ancient Near East. It's remarkable because these were their enemies. And the Hebrew word, shalom, which is used here, is translated into English as peace and prosperity. And it provides a comprehensive sense of well-being that is intended to touch every aspect of their Babylonian neighbors' lives. Amazingly, we learn that God is concerned about the welfare of a pagan city, which would, which would include its individual inhabitants and the community as a whole. And so this focus on work and prayer by the exiles would not only affect uh, their own lives in a positive way, but also contribute meaningfully to the welfare of their new Babylonian neighbors. And then we read in Jeremiah 29 of a caution against being swayed by false prophets. And in verse 8 we read, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And these verses provide clear warnings to the exiles regarding false prophets among them that are claiming to direct the people with the word of the Lord. And these false prophets, similar to Hananiah from last week, were at work among the exiles predicting an early return to the promised land. And these prophets were anti-Babylonian in their perspective, encouraging the exiles to stand up against Babylon instead of seeking its welfare. And we gather from verse 15 of chapter 29 that the exiles were attracted to these prophecies with some claiming that God had raised up these prophets in exile. But God warns his people about the message and dreams of these, of these prophets given in his name. They are deceivers and liars, for God did not send them. They have the wrong word for this time and a place in the life. And, and of the community of faith. And then in our text, we learn that although they were receiving the punishment they were due for being in exile, we learn that God has their best interest at heart. And we saw this in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good pr promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. 
Now, friends, this was significant words of hope to these exiles who knew they had failed God and deserved his punishment. They had just experienced God's judgment upon them as a nation, and it was easy for them to think that God was against them and that he had intended evil for them. And although God's justice needed to be served, he reveals that he is not through with them, but has a good purpose for them. And through Jeremiah, God assured them that his thoughts toward them were of peace and that in his heart and mind, he had a future and a hope for them. And this wasn't only for when they returned, but also for them in exile. Now, if you've been following along in our Bible engagement series and, 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 and do, in the reading, you may have noticed that up until this point in the book of Jeremiah, there was a lot of talk of destruction, displacement, and judgment on Judah. But as we enter the second half of the book of Jeremiah, there's this message of hope. God has their future in his hand, and it includes their salvation. And what's more, friends, we see that it is God that is doing the initiating. We see that this from three strong statements of divine initiative in this announcement of salvation and restoration. The first is God's visiting of the exiles. The verb that is used is the same one that was used earlier in the book for God visiting the people in judgment and in punishment. But here, God's divine action is an explicit reversal of the judgment that the people have experienced. And second, God says that he will fulfill his promise to the exiles. What promise? Well, there were many promises, but it includes this, this one in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now, any idea who he's referring to over here? This is a good time to use your Sunday school answer. Jesus, of course, the promised Messiah. God promised that he would raise up the ideal king, unlike any other descendant of David they had before. And did God ever do that? And thirdly, God promised that he would restore them to their ancestral land. And friends, we as New Testament believers are fortunate to be able to read and see the fulfillment of these promises but we need to appreciate this message and how it would have lifted up the spirit of these exiles as they listened to this message of hope, knowing how much they had failed God. And because of God's initiative and the promise he made, which they could count on, the people were able to respond positive, positively to him in repentance. And what's more, God assured them that in exile, he would hear their prayers. And you, you may remember from earlier chapters, God had commanded Jeremiah not to pray for the welfare of these people. But this new moment, uh, but, but this was a new moment. And because of God's good plans for Israel, now when the, the exiles drew near to God in prayer, they would be assured that God would hear them when they called upon him. And not only on behalf of their Babylonian neighbors, but also for what concerned their own lives. 
And God promised that when the exiles drew near to God in prayer, they would find him. What great hope this would have been. So friends, here we are, 2021, as New Testament believers, as Christians, what can we learn from this letter? And perhaps you've been making some connections already in your mind. But let me provide some insights into what I see from this text and help us bridge the gap between, the, between ancient Israel and our contemporary setting. And let's begin by making a connection between Judah's new home in exile and our current cultural environment. And you may recall that over the last year we have had a number of messages and even a whole sermon series from Pastor Chris speaking to the changes we are experiencing as believers in a post-Christian society and how similar that is to Israel's experience in Babylon. Now for the sake of time, let me just summarize the, this connection. The people of Judah found themselves in a very different culture when exiled into Babylon. Judah had lost all the things that defined them, their most sacred and cherished symbols, such as their ancestral land, Davidic king, and holy temple. Now they were in Babylon living among, among a hostile people who held very different belief systems. Now, in a similar way, the Western church is experiencing its own crisis. At one time, Christianity was commonly believed and at the center of cultural influence in the West. Today, things are noticeably different. Christians are finding themselves in an increasingly foreign culture that is becoming more and more antagonistic to them. The good news is that just as Jeremiah provided pastoral care in helping the people enter in and live in exile, this prophetic book can also inform and support the church today in navigating its own exile. And it does this by teaching us to seek meaningful engagement with our neighbors. See, in Jeremiah's letter, God instructs the exiles in Babylon to settle in for the long haul and informs them that he would restore them to their own land in his time. And God tells them to build homes, to, to develop business interests, marry and have children and plan for the marriage of their children. And God would be present and active in their daily lives, even in this foreign land, and among people they considered their enemies. And one of the things we have often done as Christians is retreat from culture as societal values have changed. There was a strong push to abandon secular institutions such as public schools, the entertainment industry, business, politics, and the marketplace in general for Christian versions of these things. Now, while I understand the motivation behind this and even enjoy the fruit of these efforts, it cannot be the full thrust of our mission strategy. It certainly was not the heart of Jeremiah's letter either. See, we need as Christians to engage in these posts because part of our cultural demise is a result of us abandoning these posts and leaving a vacuum to be filled by those with worldviews and values that differ from a biblically grounded one. So let me just say this clearly, brothers and sisters, you are called by God to be a missional influence wherever you post you have. You might be in the food industry, education, health, media, business, science, technology, government, or wherever. We as believers are uniquely called by God to be kingdom influencer 
is by contributing meaningfully to the welfare of our home here in Babylon. This includes all areas of our lives, from our work to our neighborhoods to our recreating. God is looking us for, to be, for us to be modern-day Daniels and Esthers and Josephs who, humanly speaking, were exemplary citizens of Babylon, Persia, and Egypt, but recognized that they were, uh, more importantly, spiritual citizens of heaven and called to engage as God's ambassadors in this world for such a time as this. See, friends, God is calling us as Christians to cultivate life in this world as citizens of Babylon, while at the same time recognizing that we are only sojourners in Babylon and that this is not our, our true home. We as a Christian church today need to engage and, and engage well and live missionally in exile. Now, I hope some of this is sounding familiar to you because this is the motivation behind our My Influence initiative this year. We all need to engage in God's mission. It is not, nor has it ever been, optional or only for a select few. But perhaps we were too comfortable in the past and had lost our sense of urgency with our previous cultural acceptance. And no doubt things are changing. And while at one time the church functioned as a chaplain to the state, its new cultural identity in the Western world needs to be that of a missionary. And friends, this doesn't need to be complicated. Proximity is the key. It's hard to seek the well-being of Babylon if we aren't engaging with the Babylonians. How would we know what issues they have if we don't talk to them? And as we listen and ask questions, we will get an, an important perspective into their world. And the Holy Spirit will guide us in providing nuggets of hope and truth to their circumstances and situations. So friends, engage and seek the well-being of your neighbors, coworkers, family, and friends. And remember, the Lord is with us in this effort. Another aspect of Jeremiah's letter that is helpful for us today is guarding against ungodly voices around us. And for this, we need wisdom and discernment, don't we? And just like Jeremiah warned of voices proclaiming counter-godly messages, we need, to, we need wisdom and discernment to recognize and navigate the many ideas and frameworks operating in our society. And one of the things that I found myself doing in these tumultuous times is turning to the book of Proverbs. And I'm so thankful for this book of the Bible as it is full of practical wisdom for life. And there's a proverb that has stuck out, out to me recently that I find so helpful and relevant for our day. It says this in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Well, it seems that in today's cultural climate, open and fair dialogue is missing. There are so many landmines to navigate, and it seems that there are dominant cultural narratives that are guiding our conversations and that are elevated through the media outlets of our day. If one were to publicly voice an opposing viewpoint or simply just cross-examine a matter, that person should be ready for an avalanche of trouble. It seems that our society is so emotionally wrapped up in important issues of our day that we respond more with our heart than our head. 
Now, this is understandable. I certainly fall into this pattern myself. But this doesn't mean that my judgment and decisions are always right in God's eyes. Now, this is exactly why God's message to Judah in exile was to discern the voices they were listening to. There were plenty of voices claiming to be prophetic, not just in Jerusalem, but also in Babylon. Uh, and we saw that last week through the prophet Hananiah. And in Babylon, we are, we are given reference to this in this morning's text. And their message, these prophets' message was anti-Babylonian and emotionally appealing to the exiles. And while it was true that God would deliver his people, it wasn't in their time, but his. So friends, this is hard work. We need to do the hard work, though, of carefully listening and cross-examining the ideas that we are inundated with today to, to discern truth before jumping to any conclusion. Not easy, but it's important and necessary. But let me end up here with one final contemporary connection to Jeremiah's letter, which is hope and brokenness. Jeremiah 29, although addressed to those exiled in the first wave in 598 BC, this message of hope wasn't just for them, but to all the exiles that came after them as well. See, this text, friends, became an anchor for all those from Israel who recognized the depravity of their situation. They had completely disregarded God and broken their covenant with them. And when God pleaded with them through Jeremiah to turn back to him, they conspired against him. But now, they find themselves in this low moment this traumatic circumstance, and they hear these words of hope from God. And friend, you might be hearing these words today in your brokenness today. And perhaps you have, some, you have made some life decisions that caused a lot of hurt to yourself or to the others around you. It may be that you have completely disregarded what you've known was right. And perhaps you two are wondering, is there any hope? And friend, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Just as God initiated his salvation toward his people in exile, so he has initiated redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. And this means that you can reach out to him now in your mess and in your brokenness and find hope. And you need to know that although you have failed God, he is still for you and loves you. And Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, God knows your deepest and darkest secrets, your mistakes, your failures, and pain, and he invites you to come to him just as you are. Friend, we don't need to clean ourselves up, but to approach him with a humility that recognizes our need. And friend, I hope you do, because God is faithful to meet you in that moment. 
It doesn't matter where you're hearing this message, whether it's here or online, in your bedroom or at the beach or at the cottage or wherever you might be today. It matters where your heart is. For me, it was at my bedside many years ago in my bedroom after hearing of God's love through the preaching over the radio. The message came to me at a time when I was in such a broken state, sensing the weight of my mistakes. There was a dissatisfaction in my life and a real depression towards the future that wasn't looking promising. And in my brokenness, I humbly looked to God and I confessed my need for his forgiveness, love, and help. And friends, let me tell you that God met me in that place of brokenness and filled me with his love and forgiveness and his hope. And as time went on, he began to deposit into my heart his purposes for my life. And man, what a journey it's been with him. And perhaps this morning you know what brokenness feels like. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Friend, sometimes that's what we need before we recognize we need to look up. So let me encourage you to look to Jesus in humility. For when we do, when you do, you will find him ready and willing to embrace you with his love and lead you in his good purposes for your life. Would you bow with me in prayer?